Hello, everyone. Hello. We are going to read the scripture. Thank you so much for coming back to your seats. It's so good to see everybody this morning. All right. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing in itself is unclean. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it's wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. Thank you for reading that scripture. All right. A couple things I want to say we get in the sermon. Uh, this section is not cursed, okay? Uh, so if you want to sit there, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> y'all like, I ain't sitting over there. Who could be the first one? Anyway, um, <laughs> then a lot, and before I get to the sermon, there's just, you know, as we were worshiping, uh, I think just the, the Spirit of God just put something in my heart, man. And, and I, was, I was thinking about, like, as the church began, as we were, you know, some, not many are still here. But when, when the church began, I felt such a desperation for God because I thought, man, if you don't show up, this ain't going to work, Lord. Like, if, if you don't show up, we, we, uh, we done for if, if you, if you, like, and, and that affected my prayer life, that affected how I worshiped, that affected how I read the scripture, and, you know, we didn't met, we didn't met in some grimy places before, y'all, let's be honest, but now we're, we're here in this beautiful stately building, but I don't want our worship to be stately. I, I, I we have to hunger. You know, in the Beatitudes, this is Jesus teaching. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And then he says something next. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Does anybody want to be full of God? Do you want to be filled? with? I, I need God. I need to be full of God. Well, that requires hunger. You understand what I'm saying? It's not I, I look at some food. I'm like, I could be hungry. That's not the hunger. You're like, ah, oh, maybe I'll eat it tomorrow. That's not hungry. But beloved, if we want to be full of God, he has this promise for us that if we hunger, 
He will fill us. Let, let's, let it, even if things are, look better than they used to, we cannot lose the hunger. And I'm praying, and I'm asking God, Lord, Lord, let us be hungry for you. Let us be hungry for your word. Let us be hungry for the mission that you have given us to do. Let's be hungry because he'll fill. All right, we're going to be in Romans 14. You, I love if you want to follow along, you'll have a, a Bible in your front, in the front of the pew, in front of you. Now listen, have you ever walked into the middle of an argument? Like you didn't, you went there in the beginning, like you just walked up in there and they arguing and you have no idea what they're talking about. And you're like, well, y'all heated, but what are y'all saying? Like, I ain't got no idea what y'all, and, and so, so, so like that, that's kind of like what Romans 14 is like. You can tell the language is heated. He's saying something passionate, but you're like, but what? What is the thing? I don't exactly know what you're talking about. It will help me if, if I knew what you're talking about. But if, if you, have, you are at the beginning of the argument and you know something of the people who are composed of, of the argument, you'll, you'll understand uh, not just the, the arguments being advanced, but the values that are at war in the argument. Yeah? You'll understand the values that are, that are kind of vying for one another. And so the question that we have to ask is, as we step into this argument, that's this 2,000-year-old argument that we're like, what in the world is happening? We have to ask this question. What are the values that the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote this text, what are the values that he is arguing for? Yeah? What are the values he is arguing for? I'm going to argue that, that Christ, the values are this, that Christ transforms how we act towards other people that we would honor those around us. And listen to this, y'all. I also think he is saying in this text that Christ conforms our conscience to his gospel so that we will love others well. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, would you help us to understand your word? Lord, we are, are, are hungry, so feed us with the bread of your word today. Lord God, I just pray that not only will we understand your word, but that, that we would have a desire to obey it. Lord, would you produce that desire in us by the Spirit of God? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so listen, if you were reading Romans, let's say you started in chapter 1 and you just was reading, there would be some stuff you'd be like, I know, I know what he's talking about there. I got that. I understand that. But, but listen, sometimes you read something in the Scriptures, and you're like, why is that there? Has that ever happened to y'all? You're like, I, don't, I guess it's important, but I don't really know why it's there. You know, we have a, a, a church-wide uh, Bible reading plan called CBR Journal, and we're in Genesis, okay? Genesis got some weird stuff in it. There were some days I was reading last week, and I was like, I don't even know why I need to know that. I don't understand. But listen, even when we come upon parts of the Scriptures that are confusing to us, that are that, like, why is that there? We have to have confidence in the Scriptures. Listen, listen, listen to, this comes from our doctrinal statement. It says, the Bible is to, believe, is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it teaches, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, and trusted as God, God's pledge in all that it promises. 
as God's people hear, believe, and do the word, they are equipped as disciples and witnesses for the gospel. So we believe that, that all scripture is important. And so the question is, when you get to passages that are somewhat confusing, what do you, what do, you do with that? There's this confession written in, in 1689, and listen to this, it says, the infallible, infallible means like it's perfect, okay? The infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself. And therefore, when there's a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, it must be searched out by other places that speak more clearly. Now listen, we do this with people all the time. I don't know if you've ever heard friends talking and, you know, one says, shut up to the other one. Now, now depending on the tone, depending on the context of the friendship, you're like, uh-oh, they're about, to, they're about to throw hands. They're going to fight. Or, or they, was, they, was, they was having fun. But, but you, 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 you understand the friendships. You understand different, different aspects of the context. You're like, oh, I can kind of put together what's, what's going on. So, so what exactly is the context of Romans 14? Now, here's the thing. The exact historical background of the problem described is unknown. Yet, there's something we know. Christians in Rome had different opinions on certain practices since they came from various backgrounds. If they came from paganism, that they didn't believe in God, they, they may have viewed, they may have viewed a certain food as tainted, the things that were sold in the market. If they came from certain cults, they could even be vegetarians. So people have different eating practices based on the religions they practice beforehand. Now listen, you might be like, well, does that ever happen today? When is that? Is that ever an issue for anybody? The question is yes. <laughs> the question is yes. Listen, here's the deal. The Scripture, this teaches, the Scripture is not just for you individually. It's not just for you in America. The Scripture is for all of God's people at all times. So sometimes you read something like, I don't think we deal with that. That's okay. It's not all about you. Listen, similarly today, people who convert to Christianity from Islam Judaism and Hinduism have a history of dietary practices and observations of special days. Food or calendar issues may therefore have special importance to them as matters of conscience. In this passage, most interpreters think that the issue came from who sought to observe or enforce the ceremonial part of the Old Testament. Theologians have called these issues disputed matters since differences of opinion are allowed. Nevertheless, the church must strive for tolerance and understanding of such matters, emphasizing unity. So listen, this, this, this actually does apply to somebody today in these various parts of the world where the gospel is going forward. You know, when um, me and my wife were in missions class uh, at North Greenville, uh, the professor taught us something that was very helpful when we were on the mission field and very helpful, uh, particularly in, in, a, in a, a church that's composed of different people. It says, you got to understand, some things are right, some things are wrong, and some things are different. And you have to be able to discern between those three. A lot of times we only have two categories. It's either right or it's either wrong. But because cultures are different, because, because people come from different backgrounds, we have to have this category of that's not right or wrong. Y'all just do it differently than I would do it. And it's cool. You understand what I'm saying? 
So listen, listen, Uh, you know, some people get real up in arms about the type of music in a worship service, yeah? I went to a, I I, I got saved when I was 14, went to a contemporary church. I didn't even know what a hymn was until I went to college, okay? I didn't know what a hymn was. But there's some people say, if you ain't singing a hymn, get your behind out here. And I had the same feeling about him. I'm like, they old. But I remember one time I was going to a church and we cracked open the hymnal and I found the number. That thing spoke to my soul. And I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's not wrong. It's different. It's different. So, so, so listen, this, this is what I'm, I'm trying to, to, to explain to you. Listen, we're going to pull some principles from the text to help us determine how we act now because all Scripture is important. So if you got your, your uh, copy of God's words, verse 19 we're going to look at. We ought to consider others as more important than ourselves. Verse 19 it says, So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Now we've got to think through, so like, what, is it, what does it mean to, to seek what promotes peace? Now, some of us in the room, we just like to argue. We like to debate. That's me, all right? I got to be careful of that. I like just, yeah, he's laughing because I debated each other's service. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, I got to be careful. I got to be careful because, listen, even though I like to debate, listen, we have to do what promotes peace. You know, sometimes with all the differences that exist in churches, there's this, this tendency to nitpick the church. Guess what? That's also me. Okay. I remember when I was training to be a pastor, I'm like, well, when I get there, I'm going to do da 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 Now I'm in that position, and it's awkward, okay? Everybody got so many opinions. But it is, there's this idea that we can nitpick the church. We have to say, well, man, listen, is the gospel clear? Are the people cared for? Is the mission of God going forward? We promote peace by showing grace to those around us, even those who would disagree then it says we have to think through how we should build others oh, up. Listen, if, if, you, if you talk to people, if you talk to a large segment of people, you know that some folks have a life that is like a house of straws because of the suffering and hardships. You know the fragility of their life. It's not always because they did something wrong. There, there is suffering after suffering. Listen, there are people in this church that need to be built up. Are one strong wind away from falling down. And so, how do I reinforce them? How do, how do I help the, the building of their life be strong? I give specific words of encouragement. Have you ever been going through a hard season of life and, and someone sa- shares a scripture with you and you're like, man, I didn't know that you know I needed that, but I needed that. To to be people of encouragement, we have to share God's Word with each other because it's powerful. Not only that, we need to have specific affirmation. This is another issue where I need to grow in. I'm a task-oriented person. I'm like, let's just do the thing and move on and do the next thing. But we need to pay attention. Who is serving people well? And we need to tell them that. You know, an individual who is serving people well that y'all don't, might not even know is, is our media guy, Aaron Robinson. He is serving us so well. Our projector broke. He came on the side. He does not work here, y'all. He came in and spent most of his Saturday, Saturday getting this stuff fixed. 
Y'all need to thank them. You know, another way that we encourage people, a lot of times we have issues with people. Let's say you have like 10 of them. Like, you do that, 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 that. Let's say you have a lot of issues with somebody. You need to have something called prioritize correction. Prioritize correction, meaning you don't need to tell everybody everything they're doing wrong all at one time. Maybe, maybe people are having issues. We need to go, what's the one thing that we can address? Because I don't know about you. If somebody comes up to me and says, listen, you messed up there and there and there. And then after a while, I'm like, well, I, don't, I'm, I just want to go home now. <laughs> but in our efforts to encourage one another, let's be gracious and try to pick. Like, what's, what's, what's one thing that I could help this brother or sister grow in? Look at verse 13. It says, therefore... Let us no longer judge one another and instead decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother and sister. Verse 21 says, It is good that is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Now, one of these is actually applicable today. Probably not the eating thing. But the idea is we have to make sure that we don't trip others up by what we do or say. I remember, like, I'm not lying. I remember one time I was in this church service. And they were talking about wine in the Bible, and they were just saying it was actually really diluted grape juice. Now, everybody in the service was like, bro, how you get drunk on some diluted grape juice? Okay, <laughs> like, but, but the idea, he was, he, was trying to, he was trying to warn people about the dangers of alcohol, and then he made a law where the Scripture did not make a law, is what happened. And so a lot of us grew up in very strict churches, and, and my generation, they're like, oh man, they lie, let's go drink every day. <laughs> But here's the reality. There are some people who struggle. So we should consider others. Some people have a family history of alcoholism. Some people struggle with alcoholism themselves. So even if you feel that your conscience is free to drink responsibly, it would behoove you to know those around you. You see what I'm saying? It, the idea is like, I can, I, I can do what I want to do because I can just do it, or, or I can pay attention to those around me and think, is what I'm doing helpful to them? I, I fear that sometimes, you know, because we, we value education in our countries so much, sometimes we, we judge others by their education level. There, there are times, listen, let me just make it personal. There are times when I walk into a room of pastors, and everybody's doctor, doctor, doctor. And they look at me, and I don't, I don't wear pastor clothes, I guess. I just wear shirts and pants. You know, like, and, and when I walk in the room, they're like, who is this baby walking in here? Because I have a baby face. All right? And, 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 I, and I can feel, they're like, man, if he, he just needs to get educated. And I feel in myself, like, let me show you something, bro. Like, <laughs> talk to you about some church fathers up in here. Anyway. The idea is, listen, listen, these are matters of, of, of opinion and choice. These are not matters of character. I'm quite confident there are some godly women who can't read in Africa and Asia who would just run circles of godliness around some of the most educated individuals. So listen, we have our opinions, and you can hold them. But listen, listen. You look, you look around, who is around me, and, and how can I act that would serve them? The next thing we have to understand in this text, it talks a lot about the conscience, the conscience. We must strive to have a clear conscience before the Lord. So I need to give you, let's back up. What, what is the biblical teaching on the con- conscience? 
The, the, the definition is it's the part of the mind that makes you aware of your actions being either ethically or morally right or wrong. So there's three truths I want you to know about conscience from the Scripture. Number one is that your conscience is given to you by God. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, it says, So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law, that means the rules that God gives, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show the, show the works of the law is written on their heart. Their conscience is confirming this. So this idea, listen, when, when, you're, when you're trying to explain the gospel, it's really hard to convince somebody of something they can't see, okay? But here's one thing that's interesting. You can talk about the gospel from what it says, from what the scripture says about humanity. Here's one thing that's true. Everybody has a standard of right and wrong. Now, it might be different, but everybody has a standard. And here's the other thing. No matter what your standard is, everybody fails it, even if it's your own. It's the, it's, 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 the, it's the reality of humanity. Everybody has a conscience. It's given by God. And here's the other thing you need to know. The conscience, the conscience can be seared. The conscience can be wrong. First Timothy, two, First Timothy 4, 2, it says, it says that there are, he's talking about these false teachers. He says, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They're burned. They don't work right. So you can, hear, you can hear the teaching of the conscience. You can be like, oh, I can, I, if I feel okay, it's okay. No. Sometimes your conscience is messed up. If you've ever changed your opinion on something, then you know. <laughs> your conscience is not infallible. It's not foolproof. It, right, it works, but it doesn't work perfectly. So what then? What then? God can renew the conscience. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So listen, everybody in the room ain't got no perfect conscience, but, but we can renew our conscience. We can have our conscience confirm, conform to the Word. And then over time, as we seek the Lord, our conscience becomes more trustworthy. So you look down at, at verse 16, it says, Therefore do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So, so what he's saying is, as you're trying to discern how to act, as you're trying to discern what to do and what to not do, you have to think, is my conscience clear? about how I am serving others. Now, this actually is going to require you to think about it. Because I can go through the day and not think about nothing. I'm just the, the thing that's in front of me. But this, this means that, that when, and when you are with the Lord, that you will kind of do some review with him. Lord, search me. H have, I, have I honored others? Or is there a part? Listen, we can ignore those kind of pricks in our heart. You know what I'm talking about. We're like, I probably shouldn't do that, but it's real low, so I'm going to just do it. But no, we would say, Lord, Lord am, I, am, I, am I honoring you by the way I'm serving others? The other thing is that, that we, you can compare your actions with the Scriptures. Because we're saying the conscience isn't perfect, right? It has to be reformed. It has to be renewed. You can think about the scriptural picture of Jesus where it's, it talks about he didn't, he didn't go around trying to please himself. That he walked in humility. You can look at the scriptural picture of Jesus and say, say according to that, if, if my conscience aligned to that, is, is it clear? 
you know, they, they were talking, and in verse 17 it says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, the right, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So, the, so in their church, they're talking about this food thing all the time, all right? In the Roman church, they just talk about this every, every, every Sunday. Let's talk about that. He said, listen, listen, that is not the main point. <laughs> that is not the main point of, of what we are doing. Like, y'all need to move on because that, that, this is not what Jesus came to bring. So a good question is, am I letting smaller things get in the way of serving others? Listen, in the church, there are going to be small disagreements and little misunderstandings. And I'm not talking about in the church over there, in our church. <laughs> okay? In our church. And let me tell you, I'll play it out. Somebody goes, Pastor Will, so-and-so did, blah blah Okay? And I'll say, did you talk to them? And they'll say, no. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you, you should probably go talk to them. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, and I'll say, I'm pretty sure y'all just misunderstood one another. I'm pretty sure if they knew how what they did make you feel, they wouldn't have done that. And so listen, listen, we have to be bold enough and confident enough that even when we're offended, that we would go to the person and say, I, what you did, it, it offended me. Did you mean to? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, no, I didn't even know. Listen, when, when we hold that stuff in, that's how bitterness gets rooted in our heart and reach destruction in the church. So what, he's, what Paul is saying, better than worry about the nitty-gritty of did you eat this or that or whatever, what he's saying is, does, does your conduct resemble the kingdom of God? The kingdom of, God's, kingdom of God is about God's presence, and Holy Spirit produce character. Listen, you can be morally strict and not reflect the kingdom of God. You, you can have all the right answers and not reflect the kingdom of God. This was Jesus' issue with the religious teachers of his day. He said, he literally said, do what they say, but do not do what they do. They are holding these opinions, these little minutiae, they're holding these so high that it makes them aggressive and prideful. May that not be said of us. I want to be right, but I want to be right the right way. I want to hold the opinions with grace. In verse 23, it says, But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. What he's saying is this, is that, that we must have a Godward sense of obedience. So it's really easy to be like, when you're trying to decide what's right or wrong, it's really easy to be like, well, whatever our group I'm in, that's probably what it is. We all, we all do this. And he's saying, maybe the group that you were in, maybe they convinced you, but in your mind, but your heart isn't convinced. Maybe they, they had some good arguments, and you're like, I guess. But he's saying, no, no, don't do that. We have to have a clear conscience before God. To go against a conscience formed by Christ through the Scriptures is sin. To go against a conscience formed by Christ through the Scriptures is sin. So, so it's not like, I, listen, listen, I'd have been there. You're debating something, and you arguing yourself. You know, one side of you is like, nah, do it. Us, I'm like, nah, nah. You just, there's that, that debate, and finally, you're like, well, it is what it is, you know. I'm going to do what I want to do. We've all, we've all been there, all right? But the idea is, listen, it's, it's not did you argue with yourself to overcome the, 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 the things in your heart that were telling you not to do it. No, no. Is your conscience clear? 
before God, not before the ones who are around you, but before God. I have a mentor who asked me this question sometimes, and the first time he asked me this question, I was like, that's just such a weird question to ask me. And, and I, it, it's in the context of when I'm trying to decide what to do. I'm trying to, well, should I go this way or that way? And he'll say, are you in faith? And I was like, what, what kind of question is that? What he means is, is your conscience clear before the Lord to take this path of action? And I found that a very helpful question. <laughs> when I'm trying to make decisions, are, am I in faith? Are you in faith? Would, would, do that, would, would, do, would going through this, this action, this thought pattern, would that honor God? Is your conscience clear? In other words, would this be an act of worship to God and service to others? Now, going throughout this scripture, you could miss it if you, if you get bugged down in the weeds, but, but what was really bubbling to the top is this, that we must recognize the value of others because of Christ. Why would you go through all of this gymnastics? Why would you go through all these thought processes? It's because Christ values your brother and your sister. In verse 15, it says, For if your brother or your sister is hurt by what you eat, and you are no, lo- you are no longer walking according to love, do not destroy but what you eat someone for whom Christ died. You get that last, that last clause? Someone for whom Christ died. So the question is, 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 do we see others as objects of God's compassion and love? Listen, that person who really gets on your nerves, that individual who really frustrates you, I want you to understand that Jesus had that person on his mind when he was on the cross. The person that you look at and you're really annoyed with them, Jesus looks at them with deep compassion. Listen, he burns with love for people, and sometimes we just, we're just so frustrated with them. But we need to be on his page. Maybe that's a good practice, that person, that individual you're frustrated, that you would say, now that, that person, the, the, the God of the universe who came down and took flesh when he was bleeding on the cross, he was thinking about that one. I want to align with him. I want to have thoughts that reflect his. I look at verse 20. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. Now listen, you can get bogged down into the food thing again. But listen, do not tear down what? God's work. Listen, he's saying that, that every individual, every individual is someone who God made. Now you might not like it. You might not like that person. But listen, if you come breaking my stuff, we're going to have an issue. Yeah? Listen, if you would view every single individual as God's work, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we see other Christians as works of God? As individuals who have been created anew, not created perfectly, but created anew. That we would, we would see each other as, as this, this artistic masterpiece of the master artist. How you treat it, how you treat one another, is a reflection of not just how you feel about that person, but how you feel about that person's creator. Do we view each other as works of God? 
you know, this scripture is a high calling when you really get down to it. When you, when you get past the, like, what, what is happening? <laughs> what is the argument? Why are, they mad, why are they mad about food? Just eat a taco? I don't know. Like, like I don't understand. Like, what's going on? When you get past that, there, there, there's a high calling in this scripture. That, 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 that you would love others more than yourself. That, that you would decide what you would do, not just based on what you want to do, but on how it would affect other people. But beloved, we have an example in Christ who lived the principles of this text with complete perfection. Our Savior Jesus Christ, he lived with a clean conscience. He said this, I I wish I could say this. He said, this is, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father saying. At every juncture of his life, at every complexity of the situations he's in, at every moment when people are spewing hate at him, he could say with a clear conscience, Father, I did what you wanted me to do. Father, I said what you wanted me to say. Did he not consider others as more important than himself? In Philippians 2, he says, he, says, he, didn't, he didn't see uh, the fact that he was deed, the fact that he was God as something to, to be seized upon, but he gave that up. Why? Why? So that he could die on the cross for you. From the, from the moment he came down to the moment he was put up on that cross, his actions were for you, not for him. He would have been fine in heaven, but he came down for you. Did did he consider others more important than themselves? Well, he died on the cross for our sins, not for his own, for ours. The list of our wrongdoings. He looked at us and said, I love you. It's it's worth this, this agonizing pain to be on the cross because in this moment, I am considering you more important than me. He died on the cross to forgive us. He died on the cross to transform us. Now, I I know that someone under the sound of my voice, they may not have yet trusted in Christ yet. But if you see this picture of who he is, listen, listen, he is not a slave driver. He's not just trying to make your life hard. He's not just want you to do something just to do it. He's the one who put your needs above his. He, he loves you enough to die for you, and he lives right now to save and heal you. And so if you want to experience this Savior, a little later when we have time of prayer, we have prayer leaders over here, I want you to come, because this Savior is gentle, and he loves you, and he wants to save you and heal you. Now, in light of this text, I think it's calling us to do something that might be obvious, but it's a little hard. This text, this passage of Scripture, would not make sense if you did not have friendship and fellowship with other Christians. You could be all happy by yourself, yeah? I wouldn't have to worry about it, what he thinks, what I do. But this is a call for us to draw near to the body of Christ with eyes wide open. <laughs> knowing that it's not going to be a walk in the park, knowing that, that we're not always going to agree, knowing that, that someone's going to frustrate you. Nevertheless, 
It is a call for us to draw near together so that, that Christ could sharpen our hearts. So that when that brother or that sister says something, like, how could you say that? That's that moment where Christ is sharpening the heart. And he says, can you see them like I see them? Can, can you put them above you in this moment? My fear is, is that as the church gets bigger, you can come in and go out, and you can come in and go out, and, and you're like, it's wonderful. And I'm like, but do you know somebody? Because <laughs> it ain't always wonderful, okay? <laughs> I ain't always wonderful. I know it's hard to believe. Anyway, I'm calling y'all. I'm calling y'all. I want y'all to get in growth groups. If you're not in one, I want you to get in one. These are groups of three to five people, the same gender, and they meet every other week. And listen, there's some opportunity to really know somebody when it's that small, okay? There's also an opportunity to really frustrate you, <laughs> yeah? I'm not talking hypothetically. Who do you think people come talk to when somebody frustrated? Hello? But listen, conflict is sharpening. Conflict is sanctifying. One of the greatest preachers in the world, he wrote this whole book explaining why he didn't want to be a pastor. And I read, that's weird. His name was John the Golden Mouth. Like, you preach so well, it's like gold is coming out. And John was like, I just want to be a monk. And I said, John, but you, you know, your mouth is gold and everything. Can you come and preach? He's like, but if I was a monk, I wouldn't have to do with you. And I wouldn't be tempted to sin. That's what he said. <laughs> they still, he still was a pastor. They called him like, well, that's fine. Come on. The reality is he understood this dynamic. It is easy to be more spiritual by yourself than with others. But what that means is that you actually have deceived yourself into thinking you're more spiritual than you are. If your spiritual life is just you and the Lord, and you're like, man, I'm doing great. Listen, go, go hang out with somebody. <laughs> you ain't doing great no more. But that's God's mechanism of sanctifying you. So listen, as, as you hear these words, some of you might need to reconcile with some folks. Some of you might need to go clarify with some people. Somebody might need to say, when you said that, that hurt me. Did you mean to? Listen, let, let's handle this. Some of us need to show some grace. Some of us have so many opinions that we want to impose on everybody else, but we need to show some grace. And beloved, all of us need to sacrifice. We need to draw near to those around us. With eyes wide open, knowing it's not going to be awesome all the time, but it is God's mechanism to make us look more like Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you saw us in our sin and our sadness and our brokenness and you left the comforts of heaven to live and to die for us. You are the epitome of humility, the perfect example of self-sacrifice. Lord Jesus, would you, would you make our hearts tender to you Help us to see your sacrifice clearly. And as we see that sacrifice, would you transform us and change us so that we could look more like you? Father, I'm asking that in our church, we would be people that would bear with one another because you bear with us. 
that we will be people who show grace to one another because you show grace to us. That we will be people who sacrifice for one another because you sacrifice for us. So pour out your life-giving spirit so that, you can, that we can obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.